there and to get Pablo on. Matthew chapter 22, if you'll turn there and take your sermon outline and put it there. I want to thank you for being, uh, for persevering last week. Uh, I had no, I had no idea I preached 62 minutes. I think it's a modern day record for me. Uh, I don't plan on doing it again. I didn't know I was going to do it last week, but, uh, I, I, but God, yeah. So, uh, I didn't see anybody flinch. Nobody fell out of sleep. It was, it was a good day. We got through it. So we're back in uh, Matthew. I feel some urgency to get back into Matthew. Uh, we've been in Matthew a few years now. If you want to know how many years, uh, I'll tell you. I'm not going to tell you from the pulpit this morning. You, you might think we'll never get through. But I'm pretty excited about getting to chapter 24, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I, we might look forward with anticipation when we get to chapter 24. Maybe the Lord will come while we're there. Amen. Paying taxes to Caesar, uh, it's something we do. Uh, it's something that we, like the uh, Jews, hated to pay tax to the Romans. We uh, pretty much hate to pay taxes. Nobody likes April the 15th, and uh, nobody has, ha- likes having to uh, hold that money back or have it paid out of your, your, uh, uh, your check or whatever the case may be, but we do pay taxes. And uh, I, I think for, uh, I know we had a, a granddaughter that got out, of, uh, got out of college and went to work, and she was, she was pretty appalled uh, when she got her, uh, uh, what do you call that thing? Yeah, her, her slip. She said, what is this? <laughs> what, what is this down here, this amount that they've held out for taxes? It's called taxes, and uh, that's what we're talking about today, paying taxes to Caesar and a little broader scope to that. So let's, let's do look at the scripture one more time. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Now that's a pretty heavy sentence. They, they plotted to entangle him in his words. Can anybody, can anybody fathom the futility they should have had going in that direction? Come on now. You think they're going to entangle the Lord with anything? So it was pretty futile thinking. But uh, with his, in his words, verse 16, and they sent the disciples to him. They're cowards. They don't go themselves. They, they're, they're protégés that are coming along after them to be full-blown Pharisees. That's the ones that they sent to Jesus. That was kind of the sacrifice. Along with the Herodians. Now we hear the word Pharisees and Sadducees, but... Seldom do we hear Pharisees and Herodians. But we have this new group, the Herodians, and we'll look at what what those people are uh, this morning. Saying, uh, some of you may have a translation that says master, but the ESV says teacher. That is an acknowledgement that they know that Jesus is somebody. He is the teacher And look what they say about him. We know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Nobody impresses you. Verse 17, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, 
hatred, distaste for him, said, Why do you put me to test, you hypocrites? Strong words. Verse 19, Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. And when they, they heard it, they marveled. They were impressed. And they left him and went away. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd bless the reading of the word, and I pray that uh, as I give a good effort to teach your word this morning, I pray that you would do with this word and do with this lesson with us what you see fit to do in the, the, the place and the time that we live in today. And dear Lord, when it's all over with, we'll give you the praise and the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. So on October the 9th, I preached the last time from Matthew chapter 22, and I preached verses 1 through 15, and we looked at the wedding banquet of the king's son. And that particular Sunday, I looked at the, the man who was at the wedding banquet that did not have on wedding garments. So we looked at that. So today, we are back in chapter 22. But let me just kind of bring you up to date where we have been in Matthew 21. And, and I'll quickly go through this. Christ rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He drives the buyers and sellers out of the temple. When he does that, the temple becomes a place of prayer and healing. It happened right there. The priest and the scribes take offense at the praise of the children. Look, hypocrites and people who do not love Jesus are offended by people who do love him and do praise him, especially innocent children. And they were. They took offense at the praise of the children. We looked at Jesus cursing the barren fig tree and his teaching on prayer. And if you'll remember that, when, when we pray, we, we prayed prayers of confession next door this morning. We prayed for those who are sick this morning. And, and so what this teaching was about is when we pray in God's will about spiritual matters, if, if our prayers are going to be effective, we've got to pray having faith that He's going to hear our prayers and answer them. So if we're going to pray for our children and their repentance and their salvation, we've got to pray believing that God's going to bring it about. That's a requirement of those type of prayers. Jesus silenced the priest and the elders who questioned his authority. We looked at the parable of the two sons whom their father sent out to work in his vineyard. We looked at the parable of the vineyard let out to the wicked tenants. And then we began Matthew 22, and we spent three weeks looking at the marriage banquet of the king's son. And we did end up looking at the wedding garment. So here's today's question from this scripture. Today, the question concerning paying taxes to Caesar and the answer that Christ gave to them. That's where we're at today. So, the cast has been set. And Jesus is not going along with the, the Jews, and in particular the Pharisees, 
and he's not going along with rules taught by men, and he is, he is opposing the hypocrisy and the legalism of the Pharisees of the Jewish established religion. So he's here, and they're here, and there's a gulf in between. So now we see what they're really up to. They're, they're sick of this guy. They're sick of his miracles. They're, they're, they're sick of him calling them to account for their hypocrisy. And they want him gone. And when I say gone, they want him dead. They're ready for him to be out of the picture. And they're earnestly looking for a way to bring that about. So in the next three Sundays, we're going to look at three attempts that they make to trap Jesus. Today, we're looking at their attempt to trap him by asking him whether or not the Jews should pay taxes to Caesar. Next Sunday, we'll look at how in the world they asked Jesus and questioned him about the resurrection. And so the question is, how can a rational human being believe that all those who are dead in the graves will one day be resurrected? We're going to look at that. And the third thing we'll look at is they ask him about which is the greatest commandment. And, you know, that's one of those foundational verses. If you know many scriptures, you probably have Matthew 22, 37, and 38 memorized. So that's where we're going to be at least the next three weeks. So what you're going to see this morning, that just as easy as, uh, just as, easy as the hawk can, uh, can glide in the wind, so can Jesus extricate himself from any traps that anybody kind of tries to put him in. Because he is what? He is God alone and he is sovereign. And so what we're going to see in these next lessons is this. In every one of these lessons, Jesus Christ is going to use these uh, traps as an opportunity to what? Teach. And I've really been thinking about this in the last few days, and, and, and I, I guess it's just kind of where we're at in our readings and where we're at in Ezekiel, uh, where we, uh, Russ brought up that Alistair Beggs said uh, a month or two ago, love everybody but affirm no sin. And, and I've been thinking about what is our responsibility to teach those who, who are living in uh, obvious rebellion against God, Right? And when given the opportunity, we should be teaching them that they're living in sin and the judgment to come, but the forgiveness when repentant and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. So Jesus is a great example. He never missed an opportunity to do what? Teach. And neither should we when given the opportunity. Amen? So we're going to see Jesus teaching. So today, Jesus will teach on the legitimacy that God has given civil authority or the government and what some limits might be. So who gives the government their authority? Where does that authority come from? It comes from God. Now, I don't think many people realize that. I don't think many people understand that. But it, that is the case. 
So in the teaching on the resurrection, which we'll look at next, we'll see the, the authority of Scripture and the power of Almighty God to resurrect those who are dead. And then we'll look at the teaching on the greatest commandment, and we'll see that in, in two statements, he summarizes all ten of the commandments. So let's look at the text, verse 15. Is anybody still awake? Okay. So his teachings in chapter 21 was so pointed, and the Pharisees understood it so well, that in his teachings in chapter 21, in his teachings today, he was talking about who? He was talking about them. Look at what Matthew 21, 45 says. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Have you ever been somewhere, or have you ever been praying, or have you ever read Scripture, and you read it, or you're praying, or somebody says something, and it's like, he's talking about me. Well, that's the way these guys were. They knew when he spoke that he wasn't talking about somebody else. He was talking about them. Now, I think it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's really a revealing. Uh, they knew that, right? It says there they, they, they knew he was talking about them. And when he gets through with this teaching on uh, civil government and duties towards civil government, they use this term. They marveled at his what? At his teaching, but they did not repent, but they went away. We don't want to copy their behavior, amen? When we know that God is speaking about us, we need to pay attention, we need to repent, whatever we need to do, we need to turn to God, amen? God, look, look, God was so gracious to speak to these really evil men and give them an opportunity to repent. He was gracious in doing that. So knowing that, though, it increased their hatred towards him. They hated him even more because he was speaking so clearly to them. But this hatred, this, uh, this word that he spoke, it did not bring them to repentance. And they sought after his life. Now, did the Jews have any kind of law in which they could take his life? Wasn't in their law. So in order to, to have his life taken, they were going to have to get Pontius Pilate involved in this. And he could sentence Jesus to death. So they bring other people into the mix. But what they, the problem is they have right now is they have nothing against Jesus that would warrant him being executed. So that's what they're looking for. They were looking for some way to have him brought before this, <clears throat> the authorities. They know he's done nothing worthy of death. But they don't care. Their malice and hatred was such they just wanted him gone. And I want you to look what they do. <clears throat> and, and we've talked about this before. <clears throat> When you're thinking, when I'm thinking about, how about not you, when you, when I'm thinking about doing something and I have to go get somebody else to kind of come alongside me, it ought to be a warning to me, you're probably wrong about this. 
So they didn't, they didn't have the guts to go on their own. They're going to get somebody else involved. And they are smart enough to get somebody else involved that's got a little skin in the game. They get the Herodians. And we're going to look at who those Herodians are. So they took counsel. And I want you to know, evil men and hypocrites look for others to agree with them when trying to destroy people. Wow. Have you ever, have you ever used that term? Or has anybody ever used that term to you? Uh, several people have said, y- 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 y'all ever heard that before? And, and, and it might have been one person, right? But we're always looking for other people to come alongside us, especially when we're in the wrong. Look at verse 16. And they sent the disciples to him. Disciples now. They didn't send their equals, okay? <laughs> I kind of think they'd been there, done that. They didn't want any more of it. So they had to find somebody uh, ignorant enough or innocent enough that they thought they could, they, could, they could confront Jesus and do any good with it. So they sent the disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you're true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? All right. So the partners in this task, this evil task, were the Pharisees and Herodians. So two different groups, really two enemies, have come together. The religious leaders and the Herodians. Uh, so just, I want, you to, I want you to realize kind of where we're at in America. Uh, somebody used the term yesterday, Jeff Allen used the term yesterday in our Sovereign Grace Fellowship preaching conference over at, uh, I don't know if the address is Locksburg or Horatio, but at uh, Lone Oak Baptist Church between between uh, Locksburg and Horatio, we, we had a conference. And he, he used a word uh, that you don't hear much. Christendom. Christendom. And he said, Christendom is dead. That this is a Christian nation, and everybody knows it, and everybody's kind of okay with it. Now, that's where we've been for several hundred years. But we're not there anymore. And we've used the term in the past, intersectionality. Okay? And so what I want you to know, and you need to understand this, there are are lots of different groups right now that are uniting against Christianity in the church in America. Groups. Let me just run a couple of them by you. The secularist that want to remove everything about God from a nation. Prayer, Bible reading, the Ten Commandments. They are anti, not only are they anti-God, but they're anti-Christian. All right, now listen to this. The secularists who want to remove God from the nation. Secondly, are y'all ready? The abortionists that scream for reproductive rights. 
reproductive rights. You know what that means? To kill an innocent baby in the womb. They hate Christians. They hate Christianity. They hate the Word of God. And so they come alongside the secularists. How about the homosexuals who want to ignore God's Word and make the union of two of anything a marriage? They hate Christians. They hate the Word of God. They hate the church that doesn't waver that marriage is between one man and one woman. The demonic ones that are grooming your children to be something other than their birth sex. They hate the church, they hate God Almighty, and they hate His Word. Listen to me. And if you are a devout Christian who holds uncompromisingly to the Word of God, they're going to hate you. That's where we're at in America. It's all, hey, look, it's kind of like, it's, it's like the walls caving in. Have y'all felt it yet? I can promise you the church in the next few years are going to feel it. Everything has turned against God and against His church. <clears throat> These evil and demonic, listen, I'm telling you, I, I hesitate not to call abortionists, homosexuals, and, and people who encourage our young people to change their gender, whether chemically or physically, I have no problems in calling them demonic. And, and, and I, as bad as I hate abortion, as bad as I hate, uh, I, I hate the homosexual deal, what really opened my eyes at how demonic this is, is what they're doing to our children intentionally doing to our children. Okay, so who are the Herodians? They are the Jews who have embraced Herod and embraced his rule to the detriment of their fellow Jews. They've thrown in with a wicked tyrant. Are you with me? They were the Herodians. Now, our Savior has warned them about the Pharisees and the Herodians. How many times have you read Mark 8, 15? And probably you're just like me, you read it, Pharisees and Sadducees. When, look at what Mark 8, 15 says. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of who? Herod. Wow. So let's look at that word, teacher, master. Teacher, master. This is a name the Jews gave to those, listen to this carefully now. You don't call somebody teacher unless you've owned them as teacher. Let me say it again. You don't call someone teacher unless you've claimed and understand that they are a teacher. So in calling him teacher, they revealed to him and other people, we know that this man is a master. He is a teacher come from God. They have condemned themselves already. 
So in these words, they give, the, give us the true character of a good teacher. Wow, I, I wish all our teachers were here this morning. So here's what a good teacher looks like. We know that you are true, honest, and teach the way of God truthfully, the best you know how. We know that. That's a good teacher. And you don't care what anybody else thinks. You don't care about anybody's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. Is that the kind of teacher you want? Well, that's the kind of teacher we all want, right? Until they step around on our toes. Then we'd kind of like to soften up just, just a tad. So look, look at three points about what a teacher must be. He must be a good man. Secondly, one that truly teaches men the way of God. Wow. What else, what else would a teacher teach? Amen. And not afraid of men. I believe, I truly believe, uh, I, I know I struggle with it too. Not only does man struggle with pride and selfishness and unbelief and all kinds of other things, but, but I'm telling you, we all struggle somewhat with this. We all would like to be people pleasers. We'd, we'd just like to. It, it wouldn't be a whole lot easier we're getting along with people. That's just our nature. We, we, we don't want somebody to look down upon us. We want to be people pleasers. And I think that's what's wrong with America. Most preachers want to be people pleasers. And I think most preachers in America today are guilty of trying to please people, their congregation, rather than please God. Well, they're not good teachers. Because they're allowing the opinion of men to sway them. So they acknowledge that this who Jesus was, was a teacher, a master. But they will not listen to him. And now they're plotting to murder him. So in this acknowledgement of Jesus, that he is the master, he is a teacher, he's, he's all of these things. He's true, he teaches the way of God truthfully, he's not care about man's opinion, he's not assuaged by appearances. Again, they are condemning themselves that they know the truth, but they've rejected who he is. So then the question, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, I will be honest with you. I, I myself and the other people that I looked at, uh, this, was a, this was a pretty good question. It was a pretty tough question. And here's why it was a tough question. <clears throat> Most of the Jews detested having to pay that tax to Caesar. They hated it. They didn't, they didn't like that government. They didn't like being oppressed by it. And they hated paying that tax. So they paid that tax kind of like we do begrudgingly. John 8, 33 says they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. So what they're really saying in that scripture in John Look, we're of Abraham, and we're not being controlled by Herod, or we're not being controlled by Caesar. We're not controlled by any man, but in reality, they were, but they hated it. So, 
Now what they want to do is to turn this case of, of, of a consciousness of, of this, this, this trap, they want to turn it into a case of Jesus saying, pay Caesar the tax. And those that hated the tax, the common people would be upset with Jesus. They didn't want to pay the tax. Are y'all with me? So that he's in a little bit of a, a dilemma. God has made the Jews a free people. And they thought they'd be sinning if they acknowledged Caesar by paying taxes. Now, it's a really good question. Tell me somebody, many people, over the last several years, especially with abortion, and did you, what is it, 90% of all abortions? Are y'all ready? We pay for. The government pays for. We pay for. So has, has nobody else ever thought, I'm going to quit paying my taxes? Yeah. So they're kind of thinking the same way. Don't tell me I got to pay that guy taxes. I don't want to pay that guy taxes. So it's a really good question. It's a really good question today to be debated. What do we owe to the government and what do we owe to Jesus? So how much do we owe to God and how much do we owe to the state? So two problems that they thought they had Jesus in a trap with. If he said it was lawful to pay Caesar taxes, the wrath of the common people who hated the tax would be upon him. So he's going to lose with the people, right? Secondly, if he had said that it was not lawful to pay the tax, then they would accuse him of insurrection and deliver him up to Pontius Pilate, right? So how's he going to get out of this? And they thought they had him. And it is a good question. They thought they had him in a spot. They were laying a trap for him, they thought, but in reality, and that's probably what another lesson we all learn, when we think we're trying to lay a trap for somebody else, who might we be laying a trap for? Yeah, what's, what's about digging that hole or digging that pit? Yeah. Need to be careful when we're trying to uh, trap somebody else that we might get trapped ourselves. Look at verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their what? Now, do you know what that means, folk? He knows what we're thinking. He was aware of their malice. And look what he said. Now, this is the place they began to squirm. They said, he said, why put me to the test? Oh, <clears throat> you hypocrites. You know what they knew right then? We done been found out. He knows our heart. He knows what we're trying to do. So he says, show me the coin for the tax. And uh, I, I mean, they were digging in their pockets. Okay, they were looking for that coin. Now, if they had really knew what he was about to do, they would not found that coin, right? But they pulled out the coin. And he bought, pulled, they brought it to him, a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness, whose in Scripture 
Whose picture's on here? He said, they said, Caesar's. So, yeah, let me, let me read the rest of it. Whose likeness is in Scripture this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Wow. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. So Jesus has recognized their craftiness. He asked them the question, Why do you put me to test, you hypocrites? They had quietly went about to entrap him. But Jesus, you know who Jesus is? He is none other than God come in the flesh, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. Weren't hiding anything from him. This is no dilemma for Jesus. Spurgeon says this, and I paraphrased it just a little bit because uh, sometimes Spurgeon's English is so good that I have a hard time understanding it. So this is a little bit of a, a paraphrase. When men pretend great reverence for Jesus and then teach error to overthrow his gospel, they prove themselves to be nothing but hypocrites. And they had proven to Jesus that they were hypocrites. So he said, show me the money. Now I want you to know when they pulled the money out of their pocket, this was the money that the Jews had to have if they were going to do business in that location. Are you with me? So by having that money and dealing in commerce with that money, they had already subjected themselves to Caesar. Are you with me? Okay. So that money that they pulled out, it was the amount that was taxed. And the coining of money at that time, and I guess in England and places that they have a king, the coining of money was an act of bestowing sovereign power on the authority or the person whose picture was on the money. They thought Caesar had sovereign authority and power. And as worldly speaking may be, he probably did. But speaking in the spiritual realm... He did not. So, what he told these people, like it or not, the trading in this coin, the person trading in that coin, was acknowledging or being subject to the king. Whose money was it? Yeah. So, we're, they were subject to him. So, they said Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. Now look, was this an evasive answer? It wasn't. It was the truth. If you live in the United States of America, you are under subjection to the government of the United States. But if you are a part of the kingdom of God, you are also under the, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ.
wasn't evasive. It was the truth. It is full of meaning, what he said, for them. And they knew it. And it's full of meaning for us today. Are we not living, operating in two different kingdoms? And how do we navigate that for God's glory and to keep us out of jail? Really? Caesar had his own, amen? And the Lord had his own. They marveled. And they left him and went away. They didn't have him, did they? You know what? You, you know what they were. He was. Uh, what he was. What he really did is really what I did for you guys today. He said to them what they really knew. Right? They really knew. Like it or not, they were under. They were under the authority of Caesar. And the other thing they knew, like it or not. They had enough knowledge of the law and enough knowledge of Scripture, they knew they were under the authority of God. He just told them what they knew. So, so I want you to get this now. They marvel and they left him and went away. Could we not pray a prayer right now? Oh God, keep us from following their bad example. You ever pray a prayer, God, don't let me be stupid? Guys, if you're not praying that prayer, you ought to. Because y'all know how far a man is from stupid. About one step. We also need to pray, oh God, don't let me marvel at who you are and leave you. Matter of fact, we ought to be praying the prayer, oh God, don't let me leave you. And before I leave you, just take me on out of here while I'm still following you. Because I want to tell you, y'all listen, this is for somebody here today. Sometimes God asks us to do something that's pretty difficult, and instead of following Him and getting a blessing, we turn away. I, I, you know, I, I, when I pray through the roster and, and I see people, people who come around for a year, year and a half, or two years, and they talk about church membership and and they don't follow through with a commitment to the church and to the Lord, and they begin to drift away, that scares me to death. Huh? It's a scary thing to be up close to God, close enough to take hold of Him, and not take hold of Him. We don't need to miss that opportunity. So help us, O oh God, to cleave to Christ and to go your way. So what is the lesson for us today, right here today, on November the 20th, 2022, in Nashville, Arkansas, Howard County, the state of Arkansas, in the United States of America? Caesar's rights, the government's rights, and God's rights are two distinct things. The government has its rights, and God has his rights. Religion does not exempt us from our civil duties. 
if we're going to live here, and if we're going to benefit from living here, we have duties to perform towards the government. We do. Paying taxes is one of them. Our obedience to the state in things that pertain to the state, we are obligated to take care of those things. The state can impose taxes. And what percent of taxes? And they can demand that they, those taxes are paid. That's a part of living under a stately rule. Let Caesar have his due, and let God have his right. Again, Caesar has his right, and God has his rights. And if you want to be a good citizen in both kingdoms and walk a good testimony, you've got to do the right thing towards the state, and you've got to absolutely do the right thing before God. Amen? Just the way it is. And sometimes it can really be a tightrope. We must honor the state and the Lord. Amen? And that's really what he was telling the Pharisees and Herodians. You've got to honor both. Even though God's kingdom is of another nature than the kings of the world. His law does not forbid us of civil duties. To the government. These are the standing rules on civil duties left to the church. Now listen to this. You've got them. You can look at them. Number one, the Christian religion is to be no enemy to civil government, but a friend to it. And government should be a friend of religion. Let's look at that again. Got some deer in the headlight looks. The Christian religion is to be no enemy to the civil government because the government is there to protect us and to benefit us and to, to really bless those who do right. So it shouldn't be a part, in, uh, we shouldn't have a problem in supporting them. So the Christian religion is to be no enemy to civil government, but a friend to civil government. We, we should not be the problem in America. And I don't think we are. And government should be a friend of religion. Now look, I believe with all my heart the United States of America as a government what I'm hearing right now that they are a friend of every religion except Christianity. They're okay, you name it. Buddhist, Islamic, new science, humanist, secularism, whateverism, they're friends to all of those, and they're okay with them. And they allow them to do anything they want to do. But for those who profess Christ and embrace the truth of God's holy word, we have become an enemy of the state. 
And I suspect it's going to get more intense. Number two, it's the duty of subjects to render to their country what is due to the country. Taxes? How about military service? How about serving the country? How about being on the fire department? Those kind of things. Thirdly, when we give the state what is due it, we're doing that right. We must remember to render to God the things that are God's. Our love, our obedience, our respect for Him, our obedience to Him. Is there not some part of what we have to do towards the state that we do in obedience? Well, how about to our sovereign God, the God of creation, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Should we not be obedient to Him? And lastly, let's just look at this. They marveled. They marveled at what he said. They knew he was right. They should have just fessed up and said, we are so sorry we were trying to entrap you with these questions. But instead, they went away. You know, we've looked at this before. So many times, I believe, when these men went away, God would deal with them no more. It's a dangerous thing to walk away from God. So, what is the lesson for us today? Well, coming off of what came about in March of 2020, this should mean much more to us and be much more applicable. Sometimes the government asks of the church and Christian people things that they got no business to ask of, like forsaking the assembling together, or how many can assemble. And if you do assemble, how many feet do you have to spread out between them? You know, the government sometimes should stick to the business of government and let the church stick to the business of church. The state has its fear. But the entire time we must not forget that the Lord God is on His throne. You know, and looking back in hindsight... uh, you know, it looked pretty bleak going in. So I think the church was pretty agreeable uh, to go along and to be reasonable in their assembly. But then we found out that scientifically and when pandemics come, this separation and not being around folks might not be the best thing to do anyway. And then as the people started going back together, it was all kinds of pressure, especially in in states like California, and and thankfully we have men like John MacArthur that stood up against them, just uh, said, no, you're not going to tell us when to have church and how to do church. There's the freedom of religion that comes about. We must not allow the earthly kingdom to make us traitors to the heavenly kingdom. Our loyalty should be to the Lord. So what has been said before? We have a dual citizenship. And our home is not really here. We have a heavenly home that's not of this world. But until then, 
We have dual citizenship. We're citizens of the United States of America, and we're a member of God's household and a part of his kingdom. One is temporary. We are going to leave the United States of America. We are going to leave this place, and we're going to go to a place that's permanent. So just remember this. Living in the country, or living in almost any country, Caesar, the ruler, must have his place. And here's the delicate situation. And they're really mandated by Scripture not to overstep their bounds. The government is not to mess in religion. And religion is not to dictate to the government. But for us, God alone must rule the spiritual realm. Now remember that uh, pull out a coin, pull out a, a dollar bill or a $10 bill or whatever, and it's going to have on its image something to do with the United States of America, right? Stamped on there. Who issued that money? Who operates with that money? Right? We do, right? So we are subject to that ruling power. We go somewhere else, we go to China, it's going to be under another power. But listen to me. I, I, I want you to know, put your hand right here. Right? Come on, all of you, put your hand right here. What are you stamped with? Now think about it. The image of God. You're what? The image of God. And knowing that you are created in the image of God, who are you spiritually responsible to? God, our creator. So as we operate in this dual kingdom, let's do our best to give to Caesar what is due to Caesar and give to God for sure, amen, the things that are due to God, amen.